Welcome to the Million Vegan Grandmothers podcast. And I am so honored to have Lauren Ornelas from the Food Empowerment Project. And Lauren has a long history of advocacy work for veganism, for the rights of humans, for the rights of minorities, and the people that um, deserve the same amount of respect, including the animals for the beings of us all, you know. And I, as a grandmother, I'm here with um, many grandmothers from around the world who are gathering together to say, we need to let our children know that we're going to protect them that we're going to be here for them and that we're going to not just provide hope because hope can sometimes be very immobilizing. It's, it's this wish, mm-hmm. but even deeper than that, we're going to take creative action towards change. So thank you so much, Lauren, for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for the concept of the organization that really seems to um, embrace who it is you are and the power that you have and, and have a goal to improving the lives of everybody, especially the young people. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the Food Empowerment Project, and maybe we can move on into, through that, we can move into the children that you're wanting to bring awareness to protecting, and that you have in many situations, and then the elders, and how the elders are held in such high regards in many cultures, and how we are the wisdom carriers and the keepers of of the uh, of the gifts of how would it move forward in a in a world of normalized violence and oppression into a world of normalized nonviolence and you know freedom and liberation for all. Sure, um, food empowerment project. I started it in two thousand and seven, so we're about sixteen years old now, and we were founded with some the core principles. One of which being veganism for the animals, and um, that is because I went vegan um, when I was in high school. And, um, you know, work for animal rights, work for the animals is very important to me. And it very much um, is a part of an unjust food system. And so Food Empowerment Project looks to connect various issues of oppression without making one more important than the other. So caring about human rights doesn't mean I care any less about human rights. And so looking at them both as equal and looking at them in a way that we draw connections from it and we figure out ways to make positive changes in the world. So in addition to promoting veganism for the animals, we also advocate for the rights of farm workers, not only because grave injustices take place against farm workers, but also because as a vegan organization, we're essentially caring about, you know, getting more people to eat produce um, instead of non-human animals. And we have a right to those farm workers as well. So as somebody who went vegan for the animals, because I didn't want to contribute to the suffering of them, I feel the same way about farm workers. Although I have to eat produce, you know, everybody needs to eat produce in order to be healthy. So it's very important to, to see those issues as connected that you can't do one without the other. We also look at um, the lack of access to healthy foods in Black, Brown, and Indigenous communities as also is connected that there's this misnomer that people say that it's easy to go vegan, when in reality, it's not easy for everybody to go vegan. And so it's important to look at these communities and help fight an injustice that's taking place against them with the privilege that many of us hold, which is the simple ability to buy fresh produce, pr- fresh vegetables, mm-hmm. uh, fruit, whatever it may be. And how that contributes to food apartheid, where these communities are, you know, not able to be as healthy. They don't have the same choices that other people do because they simply lack access to healthy foods. And it's part of discrimination and racism that takes place in this country. 
Um, and then the last tenant of our work is obviously we look locally at our root food comes from, but we also want to make sure that we look globally at it as well. And so for that, we look at chocolate and the sourcing of chocolate and that met a lot of the chocolate is sourced from where slavery and child labor still takes place. And so we discourage people from buying chocolate from those areas. And we try to get companies to be transparent about where it is that their chocolate is coming from. Great, thank you. And tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, I know that on your website, you have different companies that claim to be really ethical, like Amy's, and you just expose, you're, you're exposing companies that are, you know, like any corporation where the dollar is the bottom line, not not the liberation of all beings. Um, exactly. Thank you for exposing. Sure. And I think that, you know, I feel like vegans are in the best place to understand that, right? Because we know that when we hear people say, I eat free range eggs or, you know, something about, you know, free range chickens or whoever it is that they're consuming, we know, right? We know at the end of the day that that not, may not be true about the conditions they're living in. We also know at the end of the day, all of those animals are slaughtered. And so we have the ability to be more discerning about information and where it's coming from because we care so deeply. And to me, the same thing goes with foods like Amy's Kitchen, where, you know, at least for me, I mean, I loved Amy's Kitchen. I lived in the area where the first drive-through came in and my husband and I were there the first day that it opened, you know, we loved Amy's. Um, but then when we found out the working conditions um, of the workers in Santa Rosa in California, as well as in San Jose, you know, it was this, you know, oh no, right? Like, I mean, what do we do with this information? And as we spoke with the workers, we realized they needed us to advocate with them about their working conditions. And we called a boycott against Amy's because the workers in, in Santa Rosa, predominantly Latinx, predominantly Latinas, um, who were, you know, facing horrific working conditions, repetitive motions that were causing them to need multiple surgeries. Um, their emergency exits were blocked. And then to find out in San Jose, that some of the workers there were dealing with um, uh, hot temperatures because they were near the pizza ovens, sexual harassment. Here you had Latinx and also Vietnamese workers where because the, the, the managers maybe spoke Spanish, they didn't speak Vietnamese, they communicated with the Vietnamese workers by snapping at them. Mm -hmm. Total degradation of who they were. Um, and when the workers there started to organize, they, around that same time, they closed that facility and fired over 300 workers. Um, so this is not a company that, you know, that, that may be extolling virtues of, of caring about the environment. Well, they certainly didn't care about the working environment for those workers. And they certainly don't care about, you know, community if they're treating their own community members who work in these facilities the way that they've treated them. Um, so we do have a boycott against Amy's right now. And this is a company that is, um, it's privately owned. There's no shareholders. The owner of this company can make a decision immediately and change the lives of hundreds of their workers. And what we're asking for vegans, those of us who are compassionate and care about where our food comes from and how, how all beings are treated to make sure that Amy's hears um, from them about how unacceptable this treatment is of those who produce their foods. Oh, thank you. That sounds like a really important letter for the grandmothers, the million vegan grandmothers to write. So thank you thank for that. We will, we will get on you. that. Yeah. Thank you. Beautiful. So what else do we need to know that maybe um, us vegans, because we, we 
do believe in equality for all. And we're all, we've already had to do a deep dive and, and look at, you know, I'm, I'm writing a book right now with my partner on grief mapping, because mm. what I realize is that a lot of people can't look because they have so much accumulated grief and trauma that there's no room left. And so they kind of move through Kubler-Ross's five stages and continually loop, you know, between anger and apathy and denial and maybe just passive acceptance because they don't have community. They don't even know where to start. But our first stage of grieving is the, the felt sense shock, that we need to feel the felt sense shock of what's actually going on and then move into empathy, fostering empathy um, for all beings. And, and I think that what I've concluded from you know my own life is that when there's too much accumulated grief, it's too hard to look at things that are so hard to look at. And we're living in a world where many, many people are oppressed I, to acknowledge that there's privilege and oppression in, in, all, in, all, in all worlds, you know? And, and I think that it's really important to move through some of that grief in community to help people mobilize their grief into creative action. So I see that's what you do a lot of, Lauren, is you help mobilize people's suffering into creative action. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that for many of us, the, I mean, at least for me, you know, I think that the suffering for many of us is what has caused us to have so much empathy. You know, for mm -hmm. me, it was seeing that, you know, my parents going through a divorce when I was barely four um, and being raised by my mom, my sisters and I being raised by my mom. The empathy for me was seeing the cows in the fields and not wanting to be responsible for separating that family, for not wanting being part of taking the mom and the baby away from each other. So I think for mm -hmm. some of us, the suffering has created more empathy because we don't want others, whether it be human or non-human animals, to go through what it is that we've gone through, that we don't want to contribute to any of this suffering if we can prevent it. And so I think for some of us, the empathy is what has caused called for action. Because regardless of the trauma we've endured, and again, I will acknowledge I'm learning that this some of this is trauma-induced, is mm -hmm. that we want to prevent others from going through what we went through. And so there's a huge protection that's coming out, our desire to protect others. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that is a lot of it. And I think that, um, you know, I think it's great that we're looking into people because, you know, as much as we don't want to... Some, I'll speak for myself, as much as I didn't want to acknowledge the trauma of my youth impacted who I am today, it's undeniable at this point. You know, again, when we talk about as we get older, you know, the things that we start to realize um, that maybe I didn't realize in my 20s and 30s when I was doing my animal rights activism, where I can see it more now. Um, and I guess what it does is it just informs and does create more empathy for other people. And again, the reality that we don't know what everybody's going through day to day, what they've gone through when we're leafleting, when we're trying to talk to them about these issues, what it is that their day has been like, especially potentially as a Black person in this country, we don't know what has gone on in their day, what microaggressions or obvious aggressions, um, you know, outright blatant racism or discrimination that's happened to them when we're trying to talk to them about, say, animal rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of a documentary we screened on climate healers, you know, a few convergences ago um, called They're Trying to Kill Us. And a great documentary about the food deserts in Black communities. And, and exactly what you're talking about is that not 
you know, you do hear in the privileged world a little bit that, um, you know, it's easy to just go vegan, you know, go vegan, go whole food, plant-based vegan, but it is a little bit of a privileged statement that not everybody has access to just go get some organic berries and, and, you know, sprouts and, you know, yeah. the things that are the healthiest. And, and, and in our work, which we've actually gone into communities and we're doing this work with communities, um, we follow environmental justice principles. So we don't just go into somebody's community. We make sure that they want us to be there when we do this work. And we actually physically survey for fresh fruits, vegetables, canned produce, frozen produce, um, as well as other things such as meat and dairy alternatives. And we physically go in and we survey on these availabilities in order to make an assessment on if they are dealing with you know, a food apartheid situation. And we work with community to try and change it. And overwhelmingly, you know, what we found is that the vast majority of people living in these communities are getting their produce from liquor stores and convenience stores. And, you know, I have photos of, of how people are getting their produce. And, you know, one of the problems is that a lot of times the produce isn't priced. So it's up to whoever's behind the counter, how much they want to charge for it. So that could change varying on the person, as well as the fact that if you don't speak English, you're also at an automatic disadvantage from being able to ask the price of something. And so, you know, our work has been to work in community um, to work to change these situations overwhelmingly because it's a form of injustice, right? It's not, it's not right that certain communities have higher rates of dietary diseases, um, but also because as we know, higher, um, higher intake of fruits and vegetables is better for your health. And when we look at meat and dairy alternatives, it's really important as well that one, people have the choice. Um, you know, for myself who went, you know, vegetarian when I was initially in elementary school, I wasn't able to stick with it because my family didn't have the money and I had to eat what people gave us. So I want to make sure that others don't go through that. But we also have the fact that um, what we call lactose normal, which other people call lactose intolerant, is that many communities um, don't have access to plant-based milks. Cow milk is what's available. Well, for many of us, um, I'll speak for my ancestors, I'm indigenous to the Americas, and you know, Columbus brought cows over on the second voyage, right? It's no wonder that my ancestors weren't consuming cow milk. So mm -hmm. that's why this label of lactose intolerance is placed on us. But instead, we say it's lactose normal one because it's not normal to die, consume the milk of another species, um, especially into adulthood. And two, um, there's nothing wrong with us for not being able to digest what we consider a legacy of colonization. So to not have these plant-based milks available in our communities also means poor health for our communities, which also means that, you know, children um, are being impacted in their education as well by having to go to school sick or, you know, just not feeling good or made to feel different um, because they um, get sick when consuming something like cow's milk. Wow, that's powerful. You know, we don't want to digest a legacy of colonization. Thank you, Lauren. That's just powerful because that's what a lot of people don't understand. It's not just the food we're eating. We're eating the suffering, the death, and the history of oppression. Yeah. So powerful. Thank you for that. You know, and it's not just the lactose, it's it's the casein, the casein. Yeah. Casein morphine for a reason. It's very addictive in the protein molecule and in milk is to make a baby calf very huge in a yeah. short the time it's not meant for in a creature who has four stomachs so yeah <laughs> wow. 
So before we started uh, the podcast, we talked a little bit about the wisdom of the elders. And I know in your community, the elders are held in very high regard. And just the fact that they've lived so many years and they've seen so much, they didn't have to earn it. Like, like hopefully our grandchildren feel very unconditionally loved and, and that maybe more of us are stepping up to let them know that they're supported, um, that we're supporting the youth and protecting them. I would also like to see the the increase of 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 the elders no longer being invisible in our society you know it's almost like if you you can attract with a certain type of youthful beauty you're of no value and that's that's part of the colonization i would say yeah especially when you consider again that elders in um, black brown and indigenous communities are revered they are looked to as having you know a history of, of their life and their struggles um, that is, you know, looked upon with respect. I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing, obviously, because that's not always that way. But for the most part, you know, there is an understanding of, of learning from our elders and um, whether it be to not be like them or to be, you know, to learn from what they've gone through. You know, I mean, especially if you look at, I mean, not that long ago, at least practically within my lifetime, you know, civil things like the Civil Rights Act passing, um, especially with my grandmother's history, you know, my great grandmother's history of things like the poll tax and things like that, you know, that we had our, our, um, elders, our ancestors, um, fighting for our rights to vote that other people, you know, maybe had at different times and we fought for, and we had to pay for, um, some of which fought with their lives, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do think that, that especially you look at black, brown and indigenous elders, they have, they have earned it. Um, you know, especially when you take, you know, historical trauma and how it lives in us, um, you know, so much to learn from them and be in to honor them. Um, and I feel like, you know, if you look at a lot of elders, they almost always are looking out for, you know, I guess it's, it, maybe it sounds cliche, but you know, the seventh generation, like that, those future generations, like, how are we treating this planet? How are we treating the world for those future generations? Mm -hmm. Thank you. How can the grandmothers help the food empowerment project? How can we assist? We're going to, we're going, we would love, we've been really into writing letters lately. They seem Yay. to be tactful. So we would be happy and, you know, really honored to write a letter in regards to, you know, what we have spoken about on this podcast and what else, what else? Um, if y'all write a letter, it'd be great to publicize it. We'd be happy to share um, so that more people hear your voices and hear that you're standing with the workers at Amy's Kitchen. Um, you know, spreading the word, we have a school supply drive for the children of farm workers coming out and we're gonna really need a lot of help with that. Um, we know budgets are tight for people, but, you know, we're talking about, Children whose parents have sacrificed everything for them to have a better future. So we're actually starting um, today um, to start raising money for it. Um, and then we'll be doing that through um, July 18th. Um, and basically we are, we collect money or if you want to mail brand new backpacks to us, um, basically we fill these backpacks up with school supplies. And this year the school supplies are going to children whose parents pick all the berries, strawberries, raspberries, um, mm. as well as some of the farm workers who were impacted by gun violence earlier this year in Half Moon Bay, um, California. So um, that's who the school suppliers are going to. We just need as much help as we can to raise the money, get the backpacks in. 
Um, you can see on our website, adorable videos of the kids. So excited to get the school supplies. You know, we have stood out in the heat pre-COVID um, for like four hours. You know, families would start lining up for these backpacks, you know, early in the morning, two hours before we would even get there in the blazing sun. And again, these are people who are sacrificing everything that they, everything, um, so their children have a better future. And so all we're doing is help trying to right an injustice that's taking place of the farm workers. We don't see it as an act of charity, but as a way for us to give back, especially those of us who are vegan, to give back to those who pick our food. Wow, thank you. That's beautiful. And uh, we'll try to get this information out as soon as possible. And so we could support um, on the website. Yep, on the website, there's information to, to donate to the school supply drive or to our work in general. We're on, not sure, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. On your, If you're on any of that, you can share our work. If you can't afford to donate, just spread the word. That helps a tremendous amount, especially on all these issues that we're talking about, because we are such a small organization as well. And we just really need to get the information out there, because I truly believe in why I created the organization is that we are very compassionate people and we have the ability to help create the change that we need to change in the world. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else, anything else that we can do as, as elders to come together for these next seven generations, if that shall be. Um, I, I think, you know, just continuing to spread the word and doing what you're doing and, you know, create empathy and understanding and just a call to action, because I think more than anything, we want people, you know, what Food Empowerment Project tries to do is we create tools for everything. We talk about issues that are going on. We try to help create tools about them, whether it be our chocolate list or, you know, our vegan websites, vegan Mexican food, vegan Lao food, vegan Filipino food, to help people see that, you know, there are tools to help them along the way to help them make a difference. Great. Well, thank you very, very much for your work and uh, for keeping your passion alive. And the final question that I have for you is, how do you nourish? I know that doing the work service is nourishing you. How do you keep yourself um, focused in a, a loving manner and, and um, distributing that, distributing that and still, you know, taking care, taking deep care of yourself it's, and your heart? It's a good question. It's one that I struggle with. And again, I would say one that's as getting older has helped me to see I need better to be better about. Um, obviously, what the injustices in the world is really what 100% drives me. Um, but I would say that, um, you know, my partner really helps out. Um, uh, just being around him. We found a rabbit on the street a couple years ago. Actually, today is the anniversary of us finding him. Um, so having this little critter running around the house certainly creates joy. I would say taking time in nature is probably the most spectacular thing that I can do at least once a week to really absorb the beauty. That's not to say that I don't have a therapist and things like that, because I do, um, because the world gets to be a bit much. Um, but just having people I trust in my life that I can be silly with um, and, and know, uh, that I'm safe. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. I, I really thrive on, I live out in the country. I thrive mm -hmm. being, uh, able to keep my childhood wonder alive. I know that my partner really fuels my, uh, enjoyment, but also my community deeply. Uh, and having, you know, a vegan partner is really important to, to share. So you have your own little, 
you have your own little cocoon when you come home at the end of the day to say, I get it. And that's the lovely thing about being around vegans is that you don't have to say much. We just understand each other on a really deep level. So absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much for today. Thank you for having me. And thanks for all you do. Yes. Thank you very much. Namaste vegan. (laughs) 